So, we're in that place in the book of Acts where things are sort of moving forward, right? We saw uh, in the very, very beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus tells his apostles, his followers, he says, I want you to stay in Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, you're going to have power, and you're going to take my gospel, you're going to be witnesses of me, you're going to tell people about me in Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all throughout the, the rest of the world. And so they do that. So they, they go out, and as, they, as they, they, they begin to go out, they pretty much stay in Jerusalem until this persecution arises. And we've seen kind of, as we've gone further in the book of Acts, these guys kind of get farther and farther away from Jerusalem. Uh, and and we've, we've seen in the last couple weeks uh, where God's making it really clear that he is, is just as concerned about having a relationship with Gentiles, non-Jews, as he is wanting to have a relationship with Jews. And so we see that God's starting to do something fresh there. So what we see here at the end of, of chapter 11 is, is where the, the sort of focus of the church, the focus of God's work in the world, in the book of Acts, is, is changing from Jerusalem to this new city, Antioch. Antioch's going to be now the kind of hub where all the people kind of go out from. It becomes kind of the mission center, you might say, of the church. And what I think is really interesting, the thing I kind of want to focus on, is the fact that um, this phrase that we see in verse 21, where it says, where Luke writes, the hand of the Lord was with them. That is, was with these guys who had gone to Antioch to preach the gospel to these Hellenists. The hand of the Lord was with them. Because the reason it's interesting to me is because Jesus said really clearly, didn't he, to his disciples... When he says, go into the world and preach the gospel. And he says, lo, I am with you always, right? So he says that, and yet there's this phrase, the hand of the Lord was with them. And it's almost like God says, look, I'm with everyone I'm going, that, that I'm sending out, but I'm doing something special here. And, and I think we should pay attention to these kinds of things when we see them in the scriptures. Because it, it helps us think, okay, God, what are you into? What do you want to put your hand to? Because it's good for us to put our hand to stuff. God calls us to love one another, doesn't he? He calls us to love people. So it's good for us to actually put feet to our faith and to do, put our hand to that. It's a good thing. It's good for us to go out and share the gospel with people. To go out there and talk to people that don't... No worries, bro. To go out to talk to people... Um, uh, who don't know Jesus about Jesus. It's a good thing for us to do that. It's a really good thing for us to do that. Uh, but the thing is, we don't want just our hands to be put to something, right? We want to see God move. We want to see God do something. And so that's what we're kind of looking at tonight. So I'm going to give you four really quick things. The first thing is this. It seems as though God is encouraging outreach to the unreached. Because we see when these guys are scattered from, the, from Jerusalem, what happens? Some who are going up to uh, these different places, Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, these different cities, they're only talking to Jews. In other words, when, when they go to share Jesus, they're only wanting to share with other Jews. Kind of like, they're the only ones who really should hear this message. But these guys from Cyprus and Cyrene... These guys decide, no, let's go talk to the Hellenists. Now, it's interesting because we've seen Stephen actually preach to Hellenists. That's why the persecution came. In fact, some versions, uh, some, maybe your version says, not the Hellenists, but the Greeks or the Grecians, which might be a better translation because this might not be Hellenists, i.e. Greek-speaking Jews. This might actually be just Greeks, just Gentiles that they're going to. This might be why this is so specific. And there's a lot of Bible scholars who think that's the case. The point is this, God's hand is with those, seems to be with those who are willing to reach those who haven't been reached. 
Now that sounds kind of like, well, duh, of course. But let's be honest, how often are we spending all our time fishing in fish bowls, <laughs> aquariums, you know? We, 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 to be honest, we, we, we spend very little concentrated time trying to reach out to people who aren't in the church. Now, nothing wrong. We're doing what we're doing tonight for that reason. We want to engage with people who maybe don't normally go to church. It's totally cool. Nothing wrong with that. But we need to get out there. God puts his hand. He, his hand is with those who are willing to kind of engage with strangers so they might know Jesus. And so they did this. They, they began to, to do this. And it says that God was with them. And, and they knew this because a lot of people were coming to faith in Jesus and uh, were turning to God. They were turning to the Lord. What also says in verse 22 that when the church in Jerusalem, of course, the uh, apostles would have been there, that kind of the, the leadership of the church was still in Jerusalem. When they hear of this stuff, they decide to send Barnabas. Hey, Barnabas, go check out what's going on over there. Now, this is not necessarily like, oh, what do they think they're doing? Like, they're suspicious. They're just like, wow, we're hearing stuff. We want to know what's going on. And it's really wise that they send Barnabas. You know, it's, it's wise because, one, Barnabas was from Cyprus and Cyrene. So it's wise if you hear that there's evangelists from Cyprus and Cyrene seeming to be really fruitful, we'll send someone who, who knows them, who's not going to feel like they're being looked down on, and, and to see what's going on. So that was wise of them. But also just wanting to find out what's going on. Because just because somebody seems to say, or you hear a rumor, hey, God's moving, doesn't always mean that God's actually moving. It could just be what people think. So, so they send Barnabas, and he goes and he checks things out. And I love this phrase again. Here's another real kind of phrase that grabbed my attention. Verse 23, it says, When Barnabas came and had, notice, seen the grace of God. How do you see grace? What does grace look like? I mean, we talk about grace. It's a big word theologically, right? God's riches at Christ's expense, that's grace. Uh, not getting what, uh, or getting what you don't deserve, that's grace. Uh, supernatural enabling, that's grace. All these things are packed into that word, grace. Well, how do you see it? It's like a concept. How do you see a concept? Well, this is the, this is the cool thing. When we talk about grace in the scripture, it's not a concept. It's a reality. It's a truth. It's, it's God actively working. So when Barnabas goes up to Antioch, he's, what he sees is God actively working. God is saving people. We got a, 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 a small but very sweet taste of grace at church, didn't we? Hearing Ryan's testimony. Wasn't that a, a cool testimony to hear how God had... And it was a, a really encouragement to me, too, to see that God was doing something for years before he actually came to faith, you know? Sometimes we get discouraged because we share with somebody and we think, ah, oh, they just blew us off. But you don't know what God's doing in their hearts that might come back years later. And so that's, he, he sees the grace. He sees God actively working in their lives. And he's glad. He's not going, well, that's a bummer. It's not happening in Jerusalem anymore. He's like, this is great. This is good stuff. Now, how about us? When we hear about God moving in another church, do we kind of go, hmm, maybe, maybe not? Or do we think, well, that's really cool. God's doing something there in that church. So he was glad, and it says this, and he encouraged them all, notice, he encouraged them all with purpose of heart that they should continue with the Lord. So he sees that God's actively working in them. And he doesn't say, cool, see you later. <laughs> he says, look, this is good stuff. I want to encourage you to be intentional about your continuation. 
Continue steadfastly. This is something else that I see God's hand is. God does call all of us toward an intentional faith. Do you know what I mean by that? Sometimes I think we, we kind of are waiting for God to zap us, you know. All right, God, do what you want to do. Nothing's happening. Well, he doesn't want to do anything. And we're kind of waiting for something to zap us in the head. But God calls us to an intentional faith. If God's moving in us, then we should respond to that and say, God, I, I, want, I want more. I want, I want to know you. I want to do whatever it takes to get to know you better. That's intentional faith. Proverbs talks about, um, talks about uh, guiding your heart in the way. This idea that you're saying, okay, I'm not going to go by my feelings. I'm going to tell my feelings where to go. I'm going to guide my heart in the way. I'm going to veil myself and say, God, here I am. I want to know what you want for me, from me. I want to know you. I want to be intentional about my faith. I've never had a relationship with anybody that only happened by accident. Now, there's some relationships, let's be honest, that just seem really natural. Like, you don't, it doesn't take that much effort. You know what I'm talking about. Other relationships, they seem like they take like massive amount of work. But I've never been in any relationship that didn't take some sort of intentionality where I had to do something on purpose. How to call up that person or know that we'd meet at a certain place or whatever the case might be. Well, why is it that we don't think the same thing is necessary when we're walking with God? He's calling us to continue with Him. We're not earning something from God by continuing with Him. We're enjoying something He's already given us, a relationship with Him. And so this is something I think, again, God's hand is in. God blesses an, an intentional faith. In fact, it's, it's, I don't think it's an accident that Paul here, I'm sorry, that Luke here, in verse 24, says some great things about Barnabas because I think he's, in a sense, setting forth Barnabas as a good example of someone who has an intentional faith. It says, for he was a good man. What a great testimony. That guy's a good man. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. You might say full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. In other words, being intentional is, is, is about us saying, okay, God... I want to, on purpose, try to be good. <laughs> I don't mean, excuse me, good as in I'm going to impress God or good as I'm going to earn something from God because none of us can be good enough, can we? But I want to be what you call good. I want to pursue what you call good. The Bible says that God is good and He does good. So followers of God, what, what should we do? Pursue what's good. <laughs> Look for the good. I want to pursue what's, what's a good thing. I think sometimes we're so paranoid about doing the wrong thing, we don't recognize the right thing. God calls us just to do good. Be intentional about doing good. Do you think it's a good thing to know the names of your neighbors? Do you think you're going to, oh, just hopefully that'll happen one day? No, you better, hi, I'm so-and-so. That's the way it has to work. Do you think it's good to help somebody if they need help? There was a guy, uh, I was walking home from work the other day, walking right through this neighborhood, and there was a guy just wrestling with this massive bag of, I think it was manure, to be honest. And he had all all the other stuff, and he's kind of like, oh, and I'm like, hey man, do you you need some help? And he's like, no, I got it, I got it. And his pride, he wouldn't let me help him, that's okay. (laughs) But I was like, you sure, I don't don't mind, you know, um, you can hold my backpack, I'm not going to steal your manure. (laughs) I just... You look like it's, this is a lot of work. You think, no, I got it just another block away, but thank you. I said, okay, cool. I think, well, but, you know, what about walking by and just kind of going, oh, bummer for you. It's not doing good. Barnabas was known as a good man. There was an intentionality to what he did. The fact that he was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, that doesn't happen by accident. 
Do you know the Bible commands us as followers of Jesus to be filled with the Spirit? It's a command. If it's a command, it means that we have a part to play in that. In fact, it calls us to be being filled. It should be a continuous thing. What do we do? I think mainly we ask. Jesus said, ask, seek, knock. For if you ask, it will be given to you. If you seek, you'll find. You knock, it will be opened to you. In the same context, Jesus said, for if you uh, are evil and you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them who ask? God, fill me with your Spirit. I want to walk by your strength, not my own. I don't want to just kind of go off last week's relationship. I want to freshly walk with you today. That's what I mean by being intentional. So this was Barnabas. This is something I think God's hand is in. Not only when we outreach to the unreached, but also when we, uh, we, we walk with an intentionality. God calls us to that kind of an intentional faith. And then in verse 25 it says, Then Barnabas departed uh, for Tarsus, that would be uh, in modern day Syria, to seek Saul. Remember, Saul's the guy who was standing there when Stephen was killed for his faith. When Stephen the martyr was killed, Saul was holding the clothes of the guys that were killing him. And then later on, remember if we read in the book of Acts, Saul was the guy who as he's going to Damascus to try to kill more Christians and throw them into prison, what happens? Jesus shows up, knocks him off his high horse, and radically changes his life. Well, Saul had gone to to Tarsus, back to Tarsus for a season, probably just learning and growing and preaching the gospel to whoever he could. But as Barnabas is there, and he sees God's doing a a real active work, grace of God is everywhere all over Antioch, he's thinking, I'm not going to be able to teach all these people. Oh, I know. I'll go get Saul. I'm going to go get Saul. That guy is a gifted teacher. I'm going to pull him into this ministry. And so that's what he does. He seeks after Saul and pulls him in. And it says in verse 26, And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And it was uh, that for a whole year, notice, they assembled with the, the church and taught a great many people. And it says, And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now, the text doesn't say why they were called Christians. In other words, it didn't say, was this like a compliment or was this like... You know, they were getting teased. Oh, you're one of those Christians. But we do know what Christian means. The word Christian means follower of Christ. Little Christ. Christ follower. So whether it was meant to be, whether it was said as a compliment or was said as a matter of fact or was said as something like an insult, it doesn't matter. It's still a compliment. <laughs> if someone says, you look like you're following after Jesus, that's a good thing. And I want you to think about how significant this is. It wasn't in Jerusalem that the believers were first called Christians. It was in Antioch. This is a significant thing. Now, what's happening that's kind of different here? Well, one of the things that's happening is you see, and again, we heard this kind of testimony today with Ryan uh, sharing his testimony, his story before he got baptized, that God uses multiple people to do His work. It's rare that God brings one person in your life who tells you about Jesus for the first time and then is the only person that ever teaches you as you begin to walk with Jesus. That doesn't work that way for anybody. It's a multiplicity of people who who encourage you in this and encourage you in that. There was a girl who got saved in our church a couple years ago, a a Chinese girl. She was an international student. And uh, she was at the church for about 15 months before she became a Christian. 
And uh, when she finally became a Christian, uh, it wasn't there was no bells and whistles. You know, it wasn't like any emotional expression or anything. But she was. She said. She told me, "I, I really want to get baptized. I, I think I. I know I need to follow Jesus." And 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 I said, "Okay, great." And we kind of talked about some basic stuff, and she definitely understood who Jesus was and what he did. And she goes, "I, I wrote uh, my testimony, my story, and I wanted to know if you'd read it." And so I said, "Sure." So she sent me this like fifteen hundred word testimony. And it was, it was the coolest thing I ever read because she named like 10 different people in the church. And I, I gotta, I'll confess my sin and my arrogance. I thought she was going to say, and I came to servants and Pastor John was so awesome that I just had to give my life to Jesus. You know? And I was only one of the 10 and I wasn't awesome. It was just more of like I helped her understand a couple things. But she was listing all these different things and she said, it was great because she said, so-and-so, I, I, I so much appreciated how so-and-so would come and they would make sure that I always had a lift to wherever I needed to go so I could be around Christians. And then so-and-so, they were always there to offer me something to eat or to do something practical for me when I needed it or to be uh, take their time to explain something to me. And then so-and-so really challenged my thinking and made me think, why do you believe what you believe? And, I, and it was comfortable at times, but it was helpful because I needed to be challenged. And then she said, so-and-so you know, uh, taught me this thing or that thing, and so-and-so. She listed like ten different people who did radically different things, totally different personalities, totally different giftedness, and that was what God did. God used the collection of people to bring her to himself. And I think we have to remember, that's what, that's what we mean when I use the term a culture of discipleship. That God uses a multiplicity of people. So, you know, if you think about this, Barnabas, if he would have been uh, not such a good man, if he wanted to kind of just make a name to himself, he could have gone there and said to the guys in Cyprus and Cyrene, okay, look, I'm, I'm like an apostle. I've been sent here by Jerusalem, so I'm the big guy now. So I'm going to teach, and you guys just kind of do what I want, and, and I'm going to grow this really big church. But he doesn't do that. He goes and he gets somebody else. And he says, come on, Paul, I need you. And they teach together. And there's a, this work that's happening corporately. There's a group of guys doing this together. I think God really blesses that. I think God really honors that. Because what happens is, then people don't look to an individual who's helping them. They see that God's doing a work through all his people for his own glory. Now, verse 27, it says, uh, And in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. And then one of them named uh, Agabus, and we're going to see more about, see you, bro. Uh, this guy named Agabus, we're going to see more about him later on. Agabus stood up and he showed the spirit, uh, showed by the spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Now it doesn't say how he showed by the spirit. We, we don't know if that means he just, as we'll see later on, he kind of used a visual aid to kind of say, here's what God's doing. We don't know if... if uh, he drew a picture. I don't know. Who knows? But he demonstrated or he manifested. Hey, this is what God's going to do. He gave a word, a prophetic word. That this is what was going to happen. There was going to be a famine. When it says throughout the world, don't think globe. Don't think global famine. The world, the word for world there actually is not the word cosmos that usually means the created universe or the global world. Uh, this is the word that is, um, I can't remember how you say it in the Greek, but basically it's a word that refers to the Roman Empire. And we, we know from secular, um, uh, resources like Josephus that this actually took place. There were actually four famines during the time of Claudius Caesar. So this actually did take place. 
Um, what's interesting, though, is he gives this prophetic word. And, and again, I'll, I want to kind of hold back and not talk too much about prophecy today because I think there's another example where Agabus prophesies that's a better picture. But what happens is he gives us prophecy. And so when this comes to pass, what it says in verse 29, it says, Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. And this they did by sent by the elders, um, uh, by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Now, this is, this is a kind of a cool thing to me. You, you have this, that's a pretty, it's a pretty radical thing. I mean, if there was a guy that stood up in our church and said, man, there's going to be serious rain uh, in the autumn so bad that Norwich is going to flood out and people are going to lose their homes and we need to be ready. And then it came to pass, we'd be going, whoa, dude, there's a prophet in our church. He said this radical thing. I mean, we'd be impressed, wouldn't we? we? I mean, seriously. But sometimes we see that and we hear about that stuff. We think, that's amazing. But what we forget is, it's just as much of the Holy Spirit that these guys determined to send relief to their brethren. In other words, God uses the prophetic and the practical. He uses both equally. It's not as if, you know, God's like really into the prophetic stuff. You know, wow, I'm going to speak supernaturally through this guy. But when it comes to the practical, that's just people being nice. No, God's moving these guys. In fact, specifically, it says they were determined to send relief to their brethren. They were wanting to demonstrate the love of God by being committed to these brothers that were in Jerusalem. They probably needed to send that to Jerusalem because, remember, a lot of the believers that were in Jerusalem got saved at Pentecost and then they sold all they had because they thought Jesus was going to come back and now they're flat broke. <laughs> so they didn't have much left. That's probably really what happened. But what's really cool about this is that, again, it just shows that this is what God does. God does move in the prophetic, but often He moves in the prophetic so that we will then move in the, uh, in the practical, both by the power of God's Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus does. The Bible says in Galatians 6.10, As you have opportunity, do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. So, so the hand of God was working in Antioch. And the things that God was doing in Antioch are things that we can, by His grace, by His power, pursue. We can seek to outreach to the unreached, uh, we can uh, call one another to an intentional faith. Uh, we can be used collectively. God wants to use all of us to reach people. We don't have to worry about, oh, this is the one I'm supposed to save. No, God's going to save them through working through all of us. And we can know that He wants to work both in the prophetic and in the practical. And His Holy Spirit is going to do both, and He's going to be glorified in both. Amen?